Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. just arriving and I'll interrupt to bring this to you. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to believe what we're reporting to you, but it does seem to be a fact. Bastard! Jesus, you're weird. Let's just get through this, can we please? Just get it over with. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. For the love of God, Johnny. They're horny, Barbara. They've been dead a long time. Look. Look, there's one of them now. He wants you. <laughs> He's getting closer. Dangerously close. Stop it, John. <laughs> He's going to hear you. It doesn't matter. He knows we're here. It's too late now. There's no escape. No, mother! You bastard. <laughs> oh! Johnny! I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the new episode of Split the Difference. I'm your host, Jesse. Today I have with me Seth. Hi. And Aaron. Hello. And a voice we have not heard in a very, 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 very long time. Brandon has come back. Brains. (laughs) (laughs) Or lack thereof. (laughs) Have you just been working all the time on uh, Blu-rays for 88 films lately? Uh, it, it's definitely been a hodgepodge of things, uh, 88 and uh, Eureka Entertainment. Um, the, the tides are kind of shifting this year. They're, they're both doing a lot of stuff, but um, can't say too much with Eureka, but uh, the one that they recently announced was one Arm Boxer, and that's one that I thought I was done with, but apparently we're still uh, tweaking away at that one, but that's uh, a story for another time. <laughs> well, it's good that you've been keeping busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And a reason I asked Brandon to come back is because he is probably the foremost expert on the series of films we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about Night of the Living Dead, the original film from the 1960s, 1968, I believe? Correct. And the remake, directed by Tom Savini from 1990. Um, Brandon, since you're the expert, I'm just going to let you go. Why does this remake exist? Let's start there. Um, so there were a few um, reasons I've read over the years, and Aaron could probably uh, vouch for some of this as well. Um, one thing I read, and I don't know how true it was, was that apparently Romero was trying to find a way to basically make Night of the Living Dead his own again in regards to the whole public domain fiasco with the original film. Uh, a lot yeah. of people, you know, may or may not realize that, you know, part of the reason why Night of the Living Dead was so popular was because it was public domain. And so, like, anybody, like, in the 70s that had a film print could show it somewhere and not have to, like, pay for license, royalty, or anything because there's literally no copyright on the film. And so with that, you know, that became more popular. And then so Dawn of the Dead was able to be a thing and then Day of the Dead and so on. Uh, but that being said, Romero was trying to figure out if there's some sort of way to get the license back or like sort of retroactively create a license and allegedly once again this is just from what i've read over the years i don't know how accurate it was allegedly by attempting a remake they thought that that would somehow work obviously it didn't because going into even like the late 90s vhs era there were still plenty of public domain releases i remember blockbuster video had their own version uh anchor bay was like a legit version like because they still went through the proper channels um but you still had a bunch of public domain dvds when the dvd era hit um once you got into blu-ray it wasn't quite as bad uh for that but yeah that, that was pretty much from what i've read over the years like why a remake was attempted, uh, mainly just to see if Romero could kind of, you know, get that back and didn't quite succeed in that aspect. But I do know that the remake in and of itself still has a pretty decent uh, cult following um, all these years later. So, Right. So mainly it was copyright and money and it didn't quite work as well as they'd hoped. Yeah. And so basically you just have a remake that's owned by Sony. <laughs> so... The bane of my existence. Sorry. <laughs> I, I can vouch for this, too. I You know, you're asking me about the projects I was working on. A little side note, because it is related. Uh, I've been working on um, a Blu-ray of Snake in the Eagle Shadow, which is also owned by Sony. A lot of people don't know that. Two of Jackie Chan's older films, uh, Drunken Master and Snake in the Eagle Shadow. And it's funny, because a lot of the projects I've worked on, the licenses have come from a company called Fortune Star. Sony, on the other hand, there's been... I mean, they, they've been pretty good with a lot of things, but there's also been a lot of small things I didn't think would be a big deal they're like yeah you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this other thing i'm like so so what are we doing okay cool um and you know funny enough even with uh, night of living dead the remake uh i remember it was there was a weird thing where sony would license a lot of their catalog titles to twilight time so uh for a while there was their very briefly released blu-ray of the remake uh from twilight time but it was controversial because apparently they tried to regrade the film into like this murky half-saturated blue tone that didn't match the original color grading. So apparently that was fine with Sony. But, you know, it's like, wh why why did you change the color grading? And apparently Savini, like, knew next to nothing about it, and then everyone thought, oh, well, he's going to fix this. And he just looked at it and went, no, it looks fine. And so we, we weren't too enthused about that. But that's, once again, another story for another time. <laughs> 
Culture would be so much more improved if there was no such thing as copyright. <laughs> mm. I know you need to dole out royalties and everyone needs to get paid for what they're due, but just I think just in general, things would be a little bit stronger artistically if copyright was not a thing. Like I eternal mean, copyright, especially. Like there needs to be some side, some sort of practical finite limit. Like you made your creation, you got your money off of it. Now let other people play in the pond. <laughs> that, that's a better way of doing it. If, if you say none to begin with, I mean, think about all the poor artists who you know try to show their work online, then it gets stolen and sold. Oh my so, god! Not there, to there mention our certain, NFTs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So certain certain limits, yeah. But like eternal copyright it's like yeah i mean the funny thing is you do hear of like certain things like patents that lapse over time like oh well the 20-year patent is over so other people can do the thing something like that could potentially you know appeal to um media especially with media with those who have passed away whether it's the director the star writer combination um but you know that's a whole can of worms right there yeah yeah looking at you disney (laughs) oh god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, uh, we'll start talking about the original film from 1968, directed by George Romero. And we've discussed this before on Palette Cleanser. It was, what was our season, episode four so of season, season one? Yeah, it was episode, early on. Yeah, it was very early on. Um, have you guys had a chance to rewatch this uh, since then? I mean, I, I don't need to watch I've seen it like ten times. I yeah, I've seen it, it a million times, so I didn't yeah. choose to. Same. Especially yeah. because plot-wise... Other than a small difference in the end with, like, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, um, that jazz, mm-hmm. the plot-wise is, is fairly similar. The characters yeah. are fairly similar. Barbara is a little bit more assertive in, yeah, in Bar- the remake. Yeah, Barbara's but, definitely the yeah. biggest change of the characters. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really rewatch it, but I've probably seen this movie, like, 50 times <laughs> in my life. Yeah. It's I would one say, of my old one of the things I did notice about this, and uh, watching it now... Post January sixth, <laughs> seeing what we saw in the Capitol building, oh boy, uh, makes uh, the ending of this movie seem uh, even more egregious. <laughs> this definitely means that this film is very timeless. It can fit into any yeah. scenario and any time frame. Yeah, kind of yeah. what Romero yeah. wanted, which is why he always yeah. like half joke that it's why d- he d- works. Despite the fact that you know the first film is blatantly sixties, second film is blatantly seventies, the third one eh, it's blatantly eighties to an extent. They don't have to actually take place in those timelines. Like they, for all yeah. we know, they take place like a week between the first two, several months between the the second two, um, and I think that's why those films still yeah. hold hold up so well. Wasn't that the thing with like Diary of the Dead? They they said we're going back to the night that it all started, and we're gonna. <laughs> Tell it from a different perspective, and it's a complete failure. I mean, yeah, I think I think that's where it really like became more obvious that okay, there's no real fixed timeline as to when these take place. Um, you know, obviously, once again, you know, the original is blatantly '60s, and Diary of the Dead was you know meant to be, you know, in the post Blair Witch world. Um, although, ironically, right right before Paranormal Activity, I believe. So it's like sort of wedged in between, um, and. Yeah, like, a lot of people were so confused, like, well, how are you going to have, like, modern technology, you know, with, you know, MySpace and, you know, stuff like that yeah. during the time of Night of the Living Dead? And that's when he doubled down on the whole, like, oh, well, you know, the films aren't really meant to be, like, oh, this took place in 1968, and this took place in 1978, you know. It's just, hey, it is when it is, basically, so. Yeah. It's like, it, what's that uh, Lars von Trier movie, Dogville, where there's still people living in, in like, uh, 
a small secluded town in uh, America where there's still slavery that just kind of cut itself off in society. Let's just pretend that that same town is where this first movie takes place. <laughs> or the town Everybody's, in the village. Yeah, the, yeah, there you go. Everyone just kind of pretends that they're still in the 1960s. There you there, go. I fixed there it. There you go. <laughs> I fixed it. <laughs> There's your show. fix for Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> but um, uh, I guess we can pretty much say that the original is a classic. It's an amazing film. Oh, yeah. One thing I do want to get into, uh, the the kind of fracturing of the partnership between George Romero and John Russo. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go into that, Brandon? <laughs> um. I don't know, Aaron. I feel like you... well, Aaron might be the Aaron. You wrote a whole report on this back in college. You're probably yeah, I, I didn't on that re- write a report on Romero's drama with his partners. I I wrote about um like the actual question that you threw to Brandon at the beginning. So that's you know oh. cool. I, I I really feel like I belong here. I mean, <laughs> it, it's another one of those things I've read mixed things over the years where it kind of comes down to your typical oh who actually was behind this type of thing um which is why it's it's funny because i mentioned the whole thing with romero working on the remake to try to recapture any sort of licensing with it but the funny thing is russo was kind of behind some of the other aspects later on like i think he was the one behind the infamous um three decades later reshoots for the Anchor Bay uh, special edition with the uh, The 30th anniversary edition. Exactly. Uh, I I think he was the one behind those. So I think there's a a similar ploy there that also didn't quite work. But um, yeah, I I think, you know, the, the, the very bare basics version is that who was trying to take credit for what? Um, and I, I don't know all the specific details, but it's definitely one of those things where I feel like if you would have brought it up to either one of them, it would have been like a finger pointing type of scenario. Um, mm. which is why, you know, the, the future dead films were definitely more of, uh, Romero's baby. Mm. Um, so, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm sure if you look online, there's, there's much more to it. I only know like the bare basics, but it was definitely a case of like, Hey, these two guys work well together, but not anymore. So... I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for uh, John Russo, and I don't really want to attack him too much, but I am looking at his filmography. A lot of this is, like, late-night porn. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, what, what was the film he did with, um, what's his name, Bill Hinsman, the guy who played the first zombie in Night of the Living Dead? Um, uh, they're all, There's Always Vanilla? No. <laughs> Which, ironically, I think was another Romero... Um, collaboration he didn't, want, he, he didn't want to just be known as the as the zombie guy yeah so, so i think that was part of the problem so i think so, it, so he it became known as the skinamax like, guy instead <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a that's a real good life choice there you go yeah i mean you know it's, it's lucrative <laughs> but um yeah i don't know there's like a bunch of, it's all of these look terrible <laughs> yeah so it's like like i said it's, it's sort of like that no oh, i don't want to be known for this but that's what you are known for I mean, you've got nothing else really going for Dude, you. Dude, at, at least point. you're known. Like, exactly. God, does it piss me off when people. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get known? How much of that just is luck more so than hard work or talent? You're not wrong. <laughs> God yeah. damn my fame. I know, right? <laughs> my fame is so famous that I can't even fame properly. <laughs> yeah. I was watching a documentary on Steven Spielberg last night, an HBO documentary, and basically. He... I don't know how true this is, but apparently when he was going to do the tours of, uh, I think it was either Universal or it was Warner Brothers, he walked onto the lot, and when they went took, took a bathroom a bathroom break from the tours, he didn't come out of the bathroom. He just went up to one of the offices and just claimed one of the offices. 
I don't know if that's true. I think he's embellishing that a bit. <laughs> I think security would have kicked him out, but yeah, don't work that way. <laughs> yeah, he kind of he, basically he kind of forced his way into getting known by working extremely hard, and you know, you know, he's he, Spielberg is you know a very prolific director, and he's known for a lot of things, but he's mainly like, oh yeah, he's the ET guy, it, or is the it, Jaws guy, wasn't or that Jurassic the like Park guy? Wasn't that, <laughs> wasn't that the plot in Arrested Development when maybe is in high school and she becomes a, a Hollywood executive by accident? Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes! You're not wrong, though. That sounds about right. <laughs> oh, I feel like oh, it's man. exactly the same thing. Jesus. Is, is uh, Spielberg kind of like, what is that, the, the Mandela effect? He's putting that into his brain, be like, yeah, that's how it totally happens. <laughs> right. Hey, hey, it's not a lie if you believe it, as George Costanza once said. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I guess one other thing we can talk about a little bit with the original is, um, the 30th anniversary edition. There were reshoots. There were things added to the film. And um, removed. And removed. Good uh, so is there anything in that 30th anniversary edition that's any good? No. No, I didn't think so. Oh Maybe yeah, some... that priest scene. That priest scene's great. <laughs> it's it's a, curi- it's a curiosity piece. I've said time and time again, I'm always intrigued to see alternate cuts of films, whether the the original film to begin with was good or bad, or whether or not the alternate cuts are good or bad. I'm just always intrigued to see, all right, what was the thought process behind this? Like, mm-hmm. what were they trying to achieve? And did they achieve it? And if they achieved it, is it something that was worth achieving? You know, that that's always the why I gravitate towards alternate cuts of films. Um, because I'm just, you know, I'm always curious about how, you know, the the puzzle pieces are made and then put together. It's like, how do you get puzzle pieces that can create two different outcomes? And that's kind of what you get. Although in the case of Night of the Living Dead, it was just such a weird thing. Because I think all the stuff that they reshot 30 years later, I think they did all that on 16mm. Like, they were trying to get it to kind of look like the original movie, even though I think they actually shot the original on 35. Um, I could be wrong. I know Evil Dead was 16, but I can't remember if uh, Night was uh, 35 or 16. Um, uh, I don't know. Don't yeah, know. I'd have to double check. Good old tech specs on IMDb. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's. I remember vaguely seeing it once, like, 20 years ago. I think, like, wow, really dating it now. I think I, I rented it from, like, Hollywood Video uh, <laughs> in Annapolis. Man, um, really but, dating it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I remember they had the DVD. I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. And I think it was the first time I was able to watch it on DVD because I had already seen the film on VHS a couple times in the past, good old public domain VHS. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, the footage that was of the original movie looked good, but then you suddenly had these shoehorn scenes where it's like, okay, this exists. But it's funny because I think Anchor Bay owns that footage, which is why no future release has had that footage. And they also realize that nobody really gave a shit about it. So you yeah. will not find that on the Criterion version, needless to say. <laughs> so... Is there a Criterion version of Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. Yeah. I actually oh, saw no. that that oh. restoration, I think, was overseen. I think I own it, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got some pretty decent uh, cover art, too. It's all black and white. It looks really cool. Um, but I actually really saw nice. the restoration used for that on the big screen. It was insanely gorgeous. Uh, I think Ooh. it was a 4K restoration. So, like, it, it looked and sounded almost too good. It looked and sounded almost new. It was weird. Uh, but it, it was it was really good. It looked great. Sounded great. Um, because I think they actually had access to the original um, soundtracks. So they, mm. e- even the audio didn't sound like, because there are a lot of restorations where they look great, but the sound, oh yeah, it still sounds the same from, you know, all these decades ago. But no, like, it sounded brand new too. So it was, it was very impressive. Um, 
But was yeah. that at uh, Alamo? Because I saw the restoration at Alamo one time. And that was a fucking. That was a. a that was so fun. It was so, so fun. So I actually saw this one at um, AFI. I want to say this oh, was nice. 2018. I think. Um, but yeah, so in a hot minute. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it looked amazing. Like it's easily the best the film ever looked. And that's oh, the yeah. funny thing. Like I talk about the public domain releases. Like they've definitely phased out over the years. I think there was a whopping one public domain Blu-ray. Because to be fair, back in the days of VHS and DVD, you know, a lot of public domain DVDs were sourced from VHS tapes. Like you could get away with that shit on DVD. Blu-ray, not so much. It's fairly obvious. But I think there's like one public domain Blu-ray that came out uh, where someone just happened to have like a really good print to work off of. Obviously not a negative, but it's like, oh, this looks decent enough. We can make this HD. It's fine. And for the longest time, that was the only one that you could find. Then Criterion's like, all right, hold my brains so and there we go and that that was pretty much the last word and unless criterion finally starts doing 4k i think this blu-ray is like the the end-all be-all for night of living dead so for, for the original which i mean literally the only thing the only change i think i would make to the original movie would be if i could get tom savini to do the special effects because yeah. and it's funny because good. he was supposed to do it actually yeah and, there was a scheduling conflict, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah. By scheduling conflict, we mean Savini um, being a combat photographer for Vietnam. That's right. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of a conflict of uh, schedules. Yeah, I knew he was someplace that he couldn't so, get out of. So he almost did it. And for what we got, and at the time that it was released, too, uh, it, it's still pretty it's decent. It's not bad. It's it not, still holds up. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the half-eaten face... At the top of the stairs, <laughs> uh, the, the the feast scene when the truck blows up. Um, yes. You know, for 1968, that probably, like, fucked people up. Like, oh, my well, God. Well, because there wasn't a rating <laughs> system. This came out as a yeah. matinee, and there were fucking kids there. Yeah, this was actually, ironically, <laughs> the year that, I believe it was the year that the MPAA was coming out with ratings. I can't yeah, remember I them off the top of my head. this one of the films that made them, like... Because there was a, this became, one of the reasons this became such a media sensation or like became so popular was because people would go to see it and there would be like kids in the audience because people weren't really used to that many movies that kids couldn't see, I guess. Yeah. And then the kids were horrified. People were <laughs> screaming and like it, it, it enhances the impact of the film when you've got other people screaming. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And yeah, I, I can't remember the ratings, the ver- the first four ratings, because I think it was like, there was an M in there, and GP, um, and because it wasn't PG, it was GP, but I can't remember like the order that they were in, because I think it was like GP, M, R, X, it was something like that. There's only four, yeah, and even those kind of changed in the first couple of years, but, uh, but yeah, ironically, this came out around the same time that the ratings were finally slowly becoming a thing. Okay. Damn, imagine being a kid in the 60s and seeing that ending. Oh, sweet <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. that. Oh, man. It just Remember how I said the blob really fucked me up back when I was a kid? Oh, yeah. That's probably how I would have reacted if I saw that at a drive-in when I in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and the thing is, at a drive-in, you can't just leave. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just walk out. No. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, we've probably said as much as you can probably say about the original. I mean, go back yeah. and listen to our palate cleanser <laughs> episode. You know, yeah. we don't need to tread the same ground. It's it's a masterpiece. It's you know, it's it definitely feels very um, down and dirty. It's just a couple of people getting together to make a movie. And I remember, I think it was Romero who said that uh, when they went to show the film for the first time, they literally threw the print of the film in the trunk of a car. <laughs> 
Sounds they were just right. like, we're, we're just so fucking done working on this. Just fear, fucking take it. <laughs> they just threw it in the trunk of a car and then took it to a drive-in. And unfortunately, they forgot to put the copyright on it. And the moment you show something into the public without a copyright, it becomes public domain. So, yeah, it uh, they really fucked themselves. Damn. But- yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, other, like, big films that ended up being public domain. Like, I can't think of features off the top of my head. I think Carnival Nosferatu. of Souls... Well, Nosferatu, Nosferatu is its own clusterfuck, too, because that film was not supposed to exist anymore, and then yeah. a print escaped. Um, so, like, that's why every version of Nosferatu, even restored versions, still look rough, because it was a theatrical print that survived. Like, yeah. the negatives, everything were destroyed fr- because of the um, uh, the Bram Stoker estate. They're like, stop. This needs to not exist. Burn everything you have. You didn't get the rights to Dracula. That's exactly what this is. And so that's what happened in that case. But, you know, feature films, I, I'm kind of blanking. I think Carnival of Souls used to be another one, ironically, also released by Criterion. Um, more, The only other example off the top of my head is actually short subjects, more specifically the Three Stooges. You'll notice that mm-hmm. back in the VHS era and early DVD era, there were the same four shorts that always were on everything. It was Disorder in the Court, Sing a Song of Six Pants, Brideless Groom, and Malice in the Palace. So one Curly and three Shems, all because uh, Columbia Pictures forgot, for some reason, for those four to get their copyrights renewed. Hmm. So a lot of places <laughs> where you'd see like cheap VHSs, you would see Night of the Living Dead, you'd see those four Three Stooges shorts, and yeah, like you said, you know, once you screw that up you're like oh shit we're, we're kind of locked into this now aren't we so mm-hmm. i mean the restoration the, the newest restoration has its own copyright because restorations can also be licensed and also have their own copyright so you can't have another company like oh well this film's public domain i can just take this 4k restoration that criterion use and put it on my disc no you can't no you can't you need your own copy of the film <laughs> so it's it's a really weird thing it's all these loopholes and shit so but yeah, like yeah. you said, they were just like trying to just get it, you know, done and out and move from one place to the next. And, you know, the most important aspect just went right out the fucking window. Hmm. Yeah. At, at a certain point, you got to put your business hat on to do uh, to do uh, be a filmmaker. Mm. Yep. You have to put the business hat on. It's got to I mean, I remember Bruce Campbell was saying something about that. Like, have you copyrighted the scripts? <laughs> have you doled out who's going to get what? No. Maybe you should take a business class in college to do that first. And that's why Evil Dead is not public domain. Yeah, ah, there you go. Now it owned by work. Lionsgate. So. Ah. <laughs> so, I think we've said enough about the original film. It's, you know, go watch it. It's available everywhere. Literally everywhere. Um, so, this remake. Um, I was watching this, and I had never seen it. And I, I, I typed in our group chat. It was aggressively mediocre. It really is. <laughs> it's, it doesn't I, even have the dignity to be bad. <laughs> no, it's like it just barely hangs in there by a thread. Yeah, I'm probably the most apologetic for this one um, because I, I enjoy it, but I know it, it's not even close to being as good as the original. It, it's, it's a passable, you know, fun horror film, but it's not nearly yeah. as. Uh, nuanced as the original like yeah, yeah, when, yeah when you're a kid because I, I feel like the first time i saw the remake i i saw these backwards like i think i saw the remake first on tv as a kid because my dad was just flipped through the channels and just stayed on there and then you know ages later i finally saw the original and 
you know, as a kid, you just think like, oh, you know, this this newer one looks newer and it's in color and it's bloodier. And it's so cool. And, oh, this other one's in black and white and it's it's boring. And then you get older, you're like, oh, shit. No, it's much creepier. And the lighting and the shadows and the tension, let it be a slow burn and it gets to you. And then you look at the remake, you're like, this is still fun. I don't think it's supposed to be fun, but <laughs> it starts to lean more towards, I hate to say leans towards action because it's still definitely a horror film like it's not resident evil film franchise action but it still feels more like it's more horror action than horror Mm. if that makes sense especially when you know barbara's going full rambo which i appreciate that she's much more she's she's not catatonic throughout the whole goddamn film like in the original right uh, basically being a lump you know in this one yeah in the beginning she is reasonably shocked you know as anyone would be but then over the course of the film she takes charge that's like one of the few things i liked about the remake they actually you know gave her some fucking personality yeah i like that i like the the one thing i will say i really like in the is this film is the um the ending yeah where she shoots tom towels (laughs) yeah i i like that i like that yeah um it's it's a great little moment um seeing uh tony todd uh turn into uh, a zombie and stumble out, like, instead of yeah. just being tossed onto the pyre. Yeah. yeah. It, there's good moments. Oh, absolutely. There's, yeah, it's just, it's not really the sum of its parts. And it goes to show, like, sometimes doing a carbon copy remake is sometimes not the best idea. I mean, we our first episode of the season was District B-13 versus Brick Mansions. Sometimes doing a carbon copy is not the best decision. Yeah. I mean, then they're psycho. <laughs> you really yeah. want a carbon copy. And, yeah, and, and if you're going to do too. a carbon copy, don't do a fucking soundtrack as annoying as this oh, one. I had to fucking use oh, the goddamn Jesus movie Christ. for a while. I just hit my brain in the wrong spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, did anybody else find what the... What is that? This, did anybody else find the score just actively annoying? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> it, very much uh, a product of its time. It, it's The musical score felt like tinnitus. I'm just going to put it that way. <laughs> it, it sounded like... What does, you know, you know those like Super Nintendo horror games that like yes! are trying to make the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, Castlevania or some shit. That's what it sounded like to me. Hey, don't don't shit on Super <laughs> Castlevania Four soundtrack. That thing is still fucking slapping. Yeah, now but- I want to edit this movie so every time they go and go down into the basement, it's the Super Mario go down to the <laughs> no, pipes, no, no. noise like. Oh god. I can't think. I can't unthink that. Fuck. Oh man. I mean, I will say this much, and I've yet to see this because. I, I can't get past the trailer. It could have been worse. It could have been Night of Living Dead 3D with Sid Haig. Uh, where true. I think Ben was white. No. Uh-oh. No. You, no, 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 no. Like, just I know no. Romero didn't write the character's race in mine, and it just happened He was just the best that, actor of the exactly, show that day. Exactly. And it, you just, it happened to add an extra layer to it, which, yeah. you know, made it, you know, much more impactful. But, yeah, I know Ben was written with no race in mind, but once you've already established him as a black character twice, you shouldn't have a white guy play him. Mm. Yeah. That's really bad. It's kind of icky. Yeah. And, I mean, I think because of that additional layer that having Ben as a character added, that really, I mean, Romero was always about uh, representing social issues through his films. And, you know, zombies were analogous to humans or corporations or what have you. And it's really, 
ugh, it's so frustrating to see them make changes like that and to see them because his whole corpus is impacted by the fact that Ben was black because race issues began to be something that Romero was like, wait, this is something that I should also incorporate because yeah. it is a social issue. So pretty much every one of his scenes has some sort of racially charged scene I don't know that that would have happened without Ben being cast in this film and setting that precedent mm, since it yeah. wasn't his intent. Especially with Cooper. Like, you feel it under the surface between oh, yeah. Ben and Cooper. Yeah. And also, it doesn't help that there was, like, a cultural shift from the 1960s where the civil rights movement was happening. You have you have uh, segregationists starting to finally dissipate. And you have that as a backdrop for that film. What's the backdrop of the remake? Yeah, that's the tricky thing. I mean, I know we <laughs> yeah. talked about how these aren't meant to be in a specific time, but I think with the original, you know, at least being released in 68, if not taking place in 68, it, it's more magnified there. By the time you get to the remake, it's just more of a coincidence. I mean, certainly nothing against Tony Todd. I mean, I'll admit, I've actually, I should fix this, I've never seen the Candyman film, so I remember him mainly because of the Night of the Living Dead remake. Yeah. Although, there's also the Final Destination films, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's Tony Todd, you know, he's got a, a strong screen presence as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if they had just waited a couple of years and the L.A. riots were happening, perfect Oof. backdrop. Perfect backdrop. It would actually have some resonance to it. And it's funny because Romero wrote the new screenplay as well, so that's what's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, and that also leads to some of the things I think are our problem, is that some of the dialogue feels a little funky every now and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I, I, I and there are times where it's funky, and then there's times where it works. Um, when Barb has her breakdown, and she's like, "Does this look dead to you? Is this dead?" <laughs> that whole thing, like it functionally do- shouldn't work, but I still really liked it a lot. There is some oh, really yeah. good yeah. acting, yeah. too, in uh, especially in scenes like that. I, it, Ben's actor is fucking phenomenal. Just the whole movie Barbara she has some hit or miss moments but it's hard to just act catatonic yeah yeah uh, <laughs> it's funny because the actress who played her in the remake I forgot her name um, if you look at her filmography she has as much acting credits as she does um, stunt credits yeah. she's actually done a lot of stunt work in fact she actually played I believe two deadites in Army of Darkness I yep. think she played both the um, the possessed witch earlier in the film and then in the uh, S-Mart ending I think she plays the possessed customer so yep, uh, Patricia Tallman. There you go. Yeah. But she's done like a, a shit ton of um, of stunt work as well. So she's kind of bounced back and forth, which I think is kind of overlooked, which I also think actually helped you know, ma- have her make Barbara take more action, especially with, you know, firearms. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually looks like she knows what she's doing, which is important in any film. Um, yeah. But yeah, like like I said, I, I feel like that's one of the, the bigger aspects of the remake. And yeah, R- Romero, when it came to his writing... I feel like he was usually better at directing actors to say his dialogue rather than write dialogue for another director to take, even if that other director was Tom Savini in this case. Well, honestly, Romero wasn't on set, and that was really problematic because the producers didn't give three shits what Tom Savini wanted to do because he wasn't George Romero. Damn. That was the weird thing because I think even Savini said to him, it's like, why aren't you directing this? Pretty much. So it's like that that was kind of a good point. Like Even I wondered that too. It's like, I I think it was just this weird thing because you don't, often hear like it, it it is a thing it is a thing there's plenty of examples but you don't often hear of directors 
remaking their own films. Like, mm-hmm. they do exist. I've seen the lists, but I can't remember all the films. Uh, I think, like, for example, I think Ten Commandments was one of them. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille. Um, off the mm-hmm. top of my head, but uh, but yeah, like it's pretty rare. So more often, if you do have the original filmmakers involved, it's usually more of a producing aspect, maybe writing. Like ironically, once again, Evil Dead. Uh, that's another one where you had the original filmmakers involved in some capacity, but I think it was strictly uh, producer. Um, so Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Rob Tappert all produce it, but I don't think any of them had any writing credit aside from your typical based on cr- uh, characters created by credit. Um, which is so funny because IMDb lumps that in with the writer section. So it'll say written yeah. by Sam Raimi, and then parentheses, characters created by. So it's like, well, he didn't really write it then. But yeah, in the case of Knight, you know, it was it was all Romero um, on the screenplay. Because I was double checking. It's like, did he co-write it with somebody this time? Um, but no, like, I think it was all him. Wow. So. Mm. Uh, I just re- remembered uh, another director that remade their own work. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, 39 Steps and The Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh, True. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. He, he said that he was he felt I didn't quite have the experience to do what I wanted to do the first time around. So and I remade that. his own movie. Yeah. That, that I respect. If you feel like you could have done better, especially, you know, if it's like decades later and you're like, well, I could probably do this. And I've learned that. And I, I should have done this. And especially, you know, if the film's I should not... have put my copyright notice on my first film. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That really fucked me out a lot of money. And that's the biggest hurdle, too. Like, if your original incarnation of a film is not super well-known, maybe has a cult following, it's much easier to get away with doing a new version of the film. Um, but... With something like Night of the Living Dead, even by 1990, it was pretty well known. Once again, especially thanks to the whole public domain circulation, like so many people had seen the film, that it was kind of hard to kind of top it from there. It's like, okay, I can shoot it in color, I can shoot it in widescreen, I can, you know, have more accomplished actors, you know, I can do this, 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 and this. Doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, it, it can look glossier, it can look more polished, but, you know, you tend to lose things in the process. Um, that That's always the catch-22 with remakes. Like, sometimes something looking glossier, looking more polished, doesn't necessarily make it look better, or make it better well, in, I should say. Yeah. Um, An interesting point about the, the visuals of this is that Tom Savini wanted to start the film in black and white, um... And to kind of connect the two films together and then slowly he would selectively add color to the to the movie. And he also had planned on doing some scenes that were set in the the zombies perspective. And I think he could have really done some interesting things with that um, as well. But unfortunately, the producers shot him down on all of those things. So this is the movie we got. Because there's a lot of ideas that he had, because there's actually a book called, um, let me get the actual title because it's worth reading, Night of the Living Dead 90, the version you've never seen. And admittedly, um, I have not read it. I have read a lot of excerpts from it, and it's got a lot of like storyboarding and a lot of his um, like ideas. Like, so Deborah's mother, they were at the freaking graveyard that Deborah's mother, or their, sorry, Barbara's mother was buried in. They could have had her come to life. Oh, fuck. And that was one of his ideas. And um, I thought that would have been a really cool idea, too. So um, that yeah. book has a lot of really cool stuff. I feel like. Um... Uh, I've I've read uh, Max Brooks's The Zombie Survival Guide. <laughs> oh yeah, and um, oh, yeah. there's there's a lot of stuff that's in that book that I think was lifted from this movie. Like uh, you were just saying, like, well, what if Barbara's mother, you know, came alive and crawled out of her grave? And it's pointed out in that book. Well, a graveyard would probably be the safest place because the zombies can't get out of the coffins. Yeah, 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, normally you lock them closed. Yeah, uh, yeah. A modern coffin gets locked closed, and you know, six feet of dirt or so. Yeah, it, exactly. Jeff takes a little bit of effort. <laughs> they were having a hard time getting through the doors at first, so I don't know that they were going to be able to punch through six feet of dirt and a coffin lid. Well, if this was Return of the Living Dead, then you're fucked. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, nice. if this was Kill Bill, you're fucked. Nice, <laughs> nice, uh, soggy uh, soil in Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, a movie <laughs> that I, for years I didn't realize came out the day I was born. Huh. Yeah, oh. like Seth, oh, I think cool. I think it was you that was mentioning that. I think it was last year. Because it said, like, oh, yeah, this came out August 16th, 1985. I went, wait. <laughs> like, I knew it was an 85 release, but I did not remember it coming out on August 16th. I was like, that's fucking weird. Yeah. So I had no idea. Continuing the series of coincidences upon this show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a credit came up that kind of surprised me in this uh, in this film. Menahem Golan. <laughs> uh, good old Menahem Golan from... Huh. Um, yeah, from uh, uh, Canon Films. This was just after the split of partnership with Yoram Globus uh, when Canon was kind of in free fall. Um, and Menahem went off to go film, uh, or go, go to take over, I should say, 21st Century Pictures, mm. which put out a lot of like low-budget, low low-grade horror films. They put out one or two good things. like They put out Eraserhead. Um, but then you also have shit like Kathy's Curse, ah, yes. <laughs> which is not good old Red Letter Media covered that. Jesse, you need to um, put some respect. My Captain America movie came out in 1990 from 21st. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Good old Albert Pune. <laughs> oh, God. Good old Albert Pune. God rest his soul. He's not dead, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, this was a, a result, I think, of them just... Because I'm looking at the filmography of stuff that got released by 21st Century, a lot of this is just cheap crap. Mm. Sounds about right. It's a lot of yeah, it's a lot of stuff that like purchased cheaply or was re-released through their label or was made on the cheap in order to make a profit. And there was if there's anything we know about uh, Canon and their productivity, it's that make them extremely cheap so that you can make a big profit. Right. Indeed. So. Yeah, like the, the budget for this Night of the Living Dead was what was this? This was only four point two million dollars wow. in the nineteen nineties. That was nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nothing. Like you need more than that. You need at least like ten million to get the visual effects properly done, to get the you know the proper lighting. And there's just so many times when I'm looking at even like I know the zombie effects are, you know, they're fine. But this is post Day of the Dead. Mm. They yes. could have done better. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of points where I'm I'm looking at like the the uh, the second zombie we see in the graveyard, um, when his suit kind of falls off of him and he steps onto it. Look at his chest and look at the prosthetic they have on his chest for the uh, the autopsy incisions. Yeah, it looks rubbery. <laughs> it doesn't look right. <laughs> like there's no it's reason for this like, stuff. It's almost like this movie would have been better if it was black and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a shock! Like. Yeah, if this was in black and white, I probably could forgive a lot of the not-so-great makeup effects, but it, it just feels like they were just kind of scraping by, and, you know, John Russo was always kind of a sleazy guy, apparently, you, you can, from what I've heard, you can definitely, allegedly. You can definitely tell where they invested into the effects, like the... Uh, uh, the guy's brother upstairs that blew his head off with a rifle. That's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, graphic and looks lifelike. And then you'll have, you know, the random zombie that just looks like a tired person. And so you, 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 you can always tell which ones they wanted to invest in. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's odd because there's also the um, there, there's like times when they're just like walking around the zombies and like it, they don't they don't seem like they're a threat. They don't the threat of the zombies doesn't seem very imposing. Whereas in the original, they kind of like come out of the darkness, like there's just this endless wave of them. Mm. This it feels like oh, there's like just about like twenty or thirty. How many guns you got in the house? You got a couple? Okay, you can just kill them. Like, it doesn't feel like the threat is ever present. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we've been spoiled by. I think we've been spoiled by too many movies and shows in recent years where you have literally thousands of zombies. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Looking at you, World War Z. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, there is the proactive thing where Barbara does say, "Well, they're so slow, we could just run past them." Like. That is something that has been brought up before. Like, yeah. if they're so slow, why can't you just run past them? And if you read something like uh, Max Brooks's World War Z or the Zombie Survival Guide, he goes into the fact that, well, human beings eventually get tired. And they get thirsty. They, and zombies don't. They don't ever get tired. They never stop. Like, that's the thing that makes the slower zombies a little bit stronger than the fast ones. Mm. It's yeah. not just anxiety or being uh, paranoid. It's this ever-present danger because they don't stop moving. Yeah. Because they don't have a need to stop. Yeah. So, you know. It could be an interesting tense scene, though, to have them go to Johnny's body to get the keys, and then Johnny's turned, and then she's got to deal with Johnny. Right. Because that could have been a really interesting angle. <laughs> yeah, Johnny, played by Bill Mosley in this movie, you know, good old Bill Mosley, um... He shows up in this movie, and then she shoots him. I was like, oh, that's a good moment. It doesn't last long enough. <laughs> it, it, it just kind of happens, and then it's over. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems like they could have really milked that one a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Savini said that only, like, 40% of his ideas actually made it into the movie. I feel like yeah. that's one he really wanted to add on to. Mm. Damn. So, yeah. He said it was one of the worst nightmares of my life, quote-unquote. Damn. And not in a good way in this case. <laughs> no, yeah, real. he really didn't like this. He didn't like making this movie. But there was one really good moment that I absolutely love. Um, it's when uh, Ben is in the basement, die- dying and bleeding, yeah. out, uh, sitting in the chair, and he sees the key for the gas mm-hmm. pump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that moment, and the lantern slowly fades out. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's a Twilight Zone level death right, right. there. Pretty much. Yeah. Why is I'm like, why is that not in a better movie? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like that would have been in what Saviti wanted when all of a sudden. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, because it, yeah. it's it's so perfect keeping the original one in mind too. Like the the changes of the end of the movie. Now the, this character that we you know love from the first movie, we're seeing there the repeat. But, you know, what if the worst possible happened? So I, I like that it's almost referencing the first movie in that way. It, ju- it just adds to that whole scene. Yeah. Mm. I think we, we were talking about uh, Psycho and how we would actually remake it now, which is that, oh, uh, when we said it was a shot-for-shot shot remake, oh, we only meant 50%. <laughs> you know, and the second half of the movie is totally different. That's kind of what happens here. Like, the second half is, is bit, pretty yeah. different. Yeah. So I'm I'm okay with that. I just wish it was more different. Mm. Like true. Like get the gas into the truck and then go on the run. Like then you know the last woman standing trope. I'm just kind of over. There there was obviously an attempt to make this more feminist, and I'm like, yeah, but like uh, I don't know, man. Is this the best effort you can do? <laughs> she becomes more feminist by by being a murderer. So. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we know Cooper was an asshole, but damn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it oh, was, it you was... know what? Speaking about Cooper being an asshole and everything like that. So when we discussed this for palate cleanser, we had come to a conclusion where um, we had we had gotten annoyed because we didn't like that Harry's decision to go down to the basement was the right decision because we didn't like Harry. <laughs> but upon rewatching it, Tom had the seller idea. Harry isn't bright. He's the thief that steals good ideas from meeker individuals and s- just takes them for himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so now I don't have to feel weird about that because it was totally Tom's idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but once again, this is one of those films that has gotten like way more plausible with that post-2020 vision. Ooh. Like, in the past, I thought the whole, like, arguing in a time of survival was kind of impractical, and they pushed it a little bit far, but <laughs> the refusal to help each other is, um, oh boy. very, Harry is a Trumper. Let's just be blunt <laughs> here. Harry votes Trump. Uh, I, I can see that. His, I, his wife votes Trump because she's afraid that he's going to hit her if he doesn't, oof. if she doesn't, probably. He strikes me as that type of a guy. He's got a temper on him. I, I very much like Ben's entire approach to Harry throughout the film. It's just like, <clears throat> dude, I don't give a fuck what you do. Go to the fucking basement. I don't care. Like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> just don't get me killed, you dumbass. Just stay out of my way. It's the whole, like, oh, you're not agreeing with me thing, so you're my enemy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. While, while Ben's just like, just fuck off. Let me do what I'm going to do. You do what you're going to do. No, you need to do exactly what I'm going to do. It's like, mm-hmm. no, go away. Well, well another like thing that's actually pulled. Over... No, go he's ahead. He's fighting ahead. him over bringing up, uh, over like boarding up the windows and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you do realize that even if you're in the basement, boarding up the windows will benefit you, right? right. Like, <laughs> duh. Another thing that's actually pulled from the zombie survival guide, uh, I'm pretty sure ripped off here. Um, uh, Harry goes into the attic. It's better to go into the attic because zombies can't climb. Hmm. Oh, they can't? No, they can't climb. They can go into the basement. They can break the door down. Mm-hmm. They can fall, but they can't climb. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that's. So, if you ever have a zombie invasion happening around your house, get in the attic and just stay there. <laughs> They'll go away. And once again, Obi-Wan proves us right. It's better to have the high ground. <laughs> no. Uh, have long. you heard? Have you heard no, that? Have you heard that? Have you heard that sequence with um, autocorrect from Japanese? No. <laughs> with a that yeah. No, go, no Google Translate from Japanese. Oh. oh, it's oh, it's brilliant. I'll show it to you later. I on. love that. Yeah. But yeah, it is. Is this remake worth watching at all? I I, I think so. Yeah, I would. It's, go ahead. Like how how many worse films have we trudged through? <laughs> many. I mean, this like I it's said, only it's only like ninety minutes. First true. off, it's a short oh, yeah. film to get through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, especially if you want to do them back to back, and it's mm-hmm. it's not one of those times where it's like, oh, well, you watch the the better film first. Now this is gonna suck. It's like no, it's it's a very interesting visual experiment, and you know, it's it's not bad. I mean, there are far worse horror films out there. I mean, this is like a solid, I think it was like 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Hmm. It's not bad. It's it's definitely worth yeah. checking out. It, it, does, it doesn't really go into too much new territory. It's nothing groundbreaking. It was more of a case of like, hey, let's see how this would work, you know, in the in a more modern at the time era. And yeah, it's bad. So yeah, I, I think it's still worth 
checking out. It's, you know, you're, you're going to go back to the original more often, but, you know, this is still a fun little companion piece. It's it's harmless, basically. Would it kill them yeah. to move the audio track up two frames and actually have it match the mouse? Oh, yeah, yeah you noticed that when you were watching, too, didn't oh, you? Oh, my God. Um, oh, God. See, that's that's my job with the Blu-rays I work on is to make sure that that's not a thing. Right. God. <laughs> yeah, the audio syncing on this movie is off by ever so slightly. Weird. Yeah. Where, where did you all watch it? I watched it on Amazon. Uh, that was on Amazon. Huh. Yeah, now I'm curious. Could have just been a shitty stream. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it, I've possible. seen those too. Well, because so. it, it, would, it would line up in some scenes, but not all scenes. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. So, yeah, God that's it. the worst. It, it looked to be an editing mistake to me, but... Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. I like the experiment of it's not shot for shot. It's just kind of like scene for scene remake. With that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. With with you know a, a twist in who lives and who dies, and you yeah, know, yeah. Some uh, comeuppance for the scummier characters, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like the experiment. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I mean, I wouldn't turn it off if it was on, but yeah, no. I, I, that's the best I think way you put watching it. Watching yeah. once, yeah. And I mean, it's one of those films that, like, if you haven't seen the original, then, I mean, uh, absolutely watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And then watch the original. <laughs> yes, and then watch the original. Yeah. And never watch the 3D one. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I still no. haven't even watched that. And I've watched a lot of garbage associated <laughs> with zombies because of George Romero. What's funny is... Like Land of the Dead. <laughs> what's... What's hilarious we is that we should do that for film rescue show because that was Land of the Dead is a very Bush era politics yes film, <laughs> and there's a lot of like oh, yeah. anti-immigration like undertones and stuff like that so I'm very curious how that uh, how that reads in 2020. Uh, the two of you can take can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Fair that's, that's that's for that's for you two. <laughs> you can handle that one. Joint partnership if Aaron doesn't want to do Matrix Revolutions anytime soon. Yeah. I just don't see a reason to. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So it, it's it's an oddity. This remake is an oddity. It's it's it was made to try to get some some royalties for Romero and company. Didn't quite work. It's it's an interesting experiment. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's got some good stuff. Yeah. Um but the original is, of course, going to be the better one. This is just one of those cases where it's just the original is just better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the circumstances of why the film got made in the first place, eh, it wasn't really for any kind of creative or artistic reason. That was definitely hindered by the producers. So all they're looking for is just the money and didn't quite get it because the movie didn't make very much profit at the box office. Here's a question. If they let Tom Savini do his version of this now he gets full creative control and a good budget do you guys think that would be comparable to in quality the original film or do you think just the the time since the 60s would prevent it from ever being as good as the original i mean the thing is i i I don't know i mean with savini you know his bread and butter was about you know the the visual effects over the years you know before and after the uh, the remake um so i don't know i i think it would actually have to come down to just a different director at this point maybe with savini shit just put savini back in the you know the special effects category Mm. or fuck bring in the kmb guys get greg nicotero i don't give a shit you know the (laughs) end of knb um but yeah i don't know It's, it's one of those things where it's not to be treaded lightly, and I think, like, even with the quote-unquote official remake, 
Um, I feel like it, it was tread a bit lightly, and then even more so with, you know, Night of Living Dead 3D. Um, <laughs> like I said, I've only seen the trailer for that, and it was painful. Um, it, it looks like in a, an Asylum film. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's rough. And speaking of which, I, I find it kind of funny that uh, the original trilogy, you know, before Land and Diary and all those, um, all three of them have had remakes. Yeah. Only Dawn had one remake. Night of Living Dead has had at least two. There might have been a third one I forgot about. Day of the Dead has had, I think, two remakes, both of which I've read are abysmal. Oh, no. Um, yeah, there's another one on the way. Oh, no. Yep. No, oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think, well, I can't remember, the, the second one, I don't know if it was a remake or attempted reboot, because I think it was called, like, Day of the Dead Bloodlines or something. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's what it was. I haven't seen either. Once again, I've seen the trailers, and they just did nothing for me. It's just, so, like, yeah, it's just such a bizarre thing. So, give it time, we'll eventually get a remake of uh, Land of the Dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably not. Well, there's apparently another one on the way called Road of the Dead. Uh, I feel like that was the one that Romero was going to do before he passed away. Oh. Yeah. I could be wrong. It sounds familiar, though. Uh, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. That's what it I, says. I would... <laughs> yeah, I have to double-check that. I would go for, like, a nomadic zombie movie where, like, the idea that they're always shuffling towards you is built into your everyday life. That's kind of like, um... Yeah. Was it it's Resident like Evil... It's life, just with zombies. Yeah. Mm. Wasn't it Resident Evil 3 where they have, like, the... The train yeah. of um, trucks and cars and stuff. Yeah. The three was the one that basically was trying to be, like, Mad Max-ish. Yeah. Uh, directed by uh, Russell Mulcahy. Um, but, yeah, I. what's funny is I feel like that's where, if they did a direct sequel to Land of the Dead, that would have gone. Yeah. It had that vibe in the ending. But that's the thing. Like, that, that was one of the downsides to the way that these films were set up, is that typically they weren't meant to be direct sequels. Like, they took place in the same universe, but you never really followed the same characters yeah. until uh, the only one I still haven't seen, Survival of the Dead, which I believe was like a pseudo spinoff of uh, Diary of the Dead. Interesting. Um, but... Yeah, like that just became a staple in the series that you just had a different group of characters in each film, hmm. um, which, you know, was for, for better, for worse. Because, you know, with that setup, you don't have to worry about like, oh, who's going to survive this one and who's not going to survive this one. Or if you see the sequels and you see which characters are in them, you don't suddenly go, oh, well, I guess these characters survive this film and these characters survive that film. Hmm. So that's the upside. So it definitely has its pros and cons. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's all very... Uh, convoluted so <laughs> this whole series is convoluted yeah yeah so the consensus is watch the original it's basically required viewing we watched it in film class back in college it's still in film classes now uh the remake it's a curiosity yeah if you've got some free time and you just want to watch another zombie movie it's that's kind of the problem is that it is is that it's just another zombie yeah. movie yeah. there's nothing yeah. really defining about it like this is post day of the dead this is post return of the living dead there's nothing new or interesting about it it's just it's another zombie movie and it's also hampered with an r rating we didn't even bring that up before like this had to be oh, cut, yeah, yeah. slightly cut to avoid an x at the time because yeah. the nc 17 <laughs> wasn't quite there when this was in production they had to cut some gore out oh. yeah and i actually wonder if that's why some of the 
effects that we saw weren't quite as good if they Probably. were trying to tone down like blood and stuff like that to to get the R. Sure. Yeah, they were just so weird. Like you watch episodes of Walking Dead, and there's just like I more do. very different time now. The fucking just needs to be abolished. Yes. Like there should be a. This film contains sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> Make your own fucking mind up if your fucking stupid snot ass brat brat can see it. Period. End of subject. Stop <laughs> ruining movies' creative control just because Karen is gonna bitch if her fucking five-year-old sees a twat. Like, fuck's sake, people. I, I just love that you said brat instead of brat, and I'm, I'm assuming that if, if a zombie <laughs> saw really a child... I'm really hungry, and I'm like, fuck a bratwurst would be if, good right if now. If a zombie saw a bratty child, they would just look at them like they were a brat, so it works. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, no, I, I think there were at least two headshots in this that were trimmed or cut out altogether. Uh, I think they are in like the, the work print version of the film. Um, like one of the zombies that was coming through the window gets shot in the head and there's like a big splat behind it that got cut out and then there I think it was like an exploding head much quicker than say the one in Scanners and that still you know managed to get an R Um, but I think it's because it's one of those things where it's like it's the context it's like oh this dude's head blew up in slow motion but it was done via psychic powers okay R rating oh this dude's head was blown up in a half second but up close with a shotgun that you could probably you know get at the 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 market down the street so you know context that's the, always the weird thing about ratings yeah because it's not it's not always a case of oh well this film did this so we can do that it's like all right what's the context oh well it's done like this yeah no you're gonna get this rating instead like god damn it so <laughs> now like even with the upcoming you know mortal Kombat reboot they made a good point that i've been saying for years is that like oh well it's based on an m-rated video game so it should be an r rating not necessarily m ratings of video games get away with a lot more gore than r ratings and live action films yeah because yeah there is that subconscious like oh it's CG, it's fine. Oh, but this looks like real people. It's not. And it's also a psychological thing. Like, there are films where if you see someone like being more psychologically tortured with gore in it, then some of that gore gets cut because, oh, it's that like intense emotional aspect that would push it into NC-17. Right. While if it's just more abrupt, like, I guarantee the work print version of the Night remake would be an R now. Mm. Um, but, you know, back in 1990 you know, a lot of the gorier stuff was definitely more relegated to like unrated or NC-17 or by the time the NC-17 was official in um, 1990. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. So that was another big hurdle with this because when you had the original trilogy by Romero, all three of them unrated, and then you suddenly have this, which is R-rated, you're, you're definitely, you know, pulled back a bit. So, But if it's Jesus getting whipped in Passion of the Christ, it's fine. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Imagine, Ooh, imagine, uh, imagine a video game like Manhunt trying to be adapted to film. Oh my god, that's instant. That's instant NC seventeen. Well, shit. At least what was it the second one? If not both of them, that was uh, that was the, they were censored. It was censored yeah. in America. Yeah, they were going to get AO. Like, no. They were going to get an yeah, AO rating. Like, a lot of people forget that that rating even exists for games. Yeah, the AO rating. Um, yeah. you know, the, it exists only for like porn games at this point. I pretty think. much. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I, GameStop and stuff like didn't even carry adults only. We would occasionally have people try and turn them in, and it was always really shady yeah. stuff. Oof. Oof. I mean, that was like Blockbuster for the longest time. They not only would they not have NC seventeen, but they wouldn't even carry uh, unrated films until they realized when DVD made those popular, they're like, well, we might have to tweak this, but we're still not doing NC-17. Mm-hmm. So they allowed unrated films, but not NC-17 films, which is why you had bizarre things like the uh, blockbuster exclusive R-rated cut of Showgirls on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> blockbuster. Like, yes, that does exist. And uh, Requiem Fear Dream, they did the same thing. They did an R-rated cut just for Blockbuster. So, 
and yet they had a porn section. And that's how we'll end the episode. <laughs> what blockbuster did you go to? <laughs> they, they always had a porn no, section. No, blockbuster no. never did, my dude. F- Not even close. Family they video were, did. That's actually how they got popular is that they didn't have that because a lot of the mom oh, no, it was No, no, it was Hollywood video that had that. Never mind. I don't remember that either, but okay. <laughs> Something did. I, there was I a went fam- to two Hollywood videos. Neither of them had that. There was a f- I should know. I was a teenager by that point. There was a family <laughs> video in my town that had, like, saloon doors that took you back into the porn section. <laughs> I had the internet Ironically by that called point, family so video. I wasn't yeah. looking for VHS porn. It's so funny. I don't know. Like, All right, so who here remembers Metro Video and Bowie back in the 90s? I didn't grow up around here. Okay, so I, I knew you would, you no. would not qualify for that but jesse aaron do you either you remember that Doesn't what, sorry, what's it called? okay so marketplace mall and buoy which was a thing until like the 2000s they had a video store called metro video it was a local mom and pop video shop it was really big too i was actually surprised at how big this place was and yeah they had an adult section but they had like the just the curtains the very vague curtains there um and of course i was too young to even try to venture back there and they closed by the time i think i was like 14 or 15 so yep never went in that room i know like uh suncoast and fye all had like adult like sections but they weren't even rooms they were just like a you know area with uh the playboy bunny head covering up the cover of the dvd (laughs) oh yeah i think the fye at arundel mill still has that i could be wrong there's still fyes yeah they they exist you just gotta look for them a little harder oh my god that's usually the reaction to FYE now. It's like, that's still a thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, the, the one on Rundle Mills is still around. But the one at Annapolis, that, that went kaput. And uh, the funny thing is, Rundle Mills had a bigger FYE for years, and then they downsized it. So, which is unfortunate. But, yeah, so zombies and porn. What, what an episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> typical. Very typical and for that's us. Where, that's where we'll end the episode. <laughs> so, go watch the original Watch the remake if you're curious about it. That's really all there is to say. Pretty much. And, you know, for, for a show like this, that's probably one of the more glowing things that we can say. Yeah. Because usually with remakes and reboots, it doesn't always I didn't up, hate anything. You know, even, even that gracious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll go and announce our next episode. It was originally going to be 13 Assassins, but I recently found out that the original is not available anywhere. And we're not going to have another 47 Ronin situation like we did last season where you can't find the original. (laughs) Wow. So instead, we're going to discuss Death Race 2000 versus Death Race. (gasps) More Roger Corman on the way. So there you go. With Sylvester Stallone in the original film. (laughs) That'll be an interesting one because I I remember watching the remake and I was thinking, is this Twisted Metal? It feels like Twisted I, Metal. I love the uh, well. I'm sure I'll repeat this on the episode. I love that they figured out how to do video game power ups in a movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. <laughs> the spike traps comes up and just impales the whole car. I, l- I mean, it is directed by Paul Anderson, so take that as you will. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> he had strokes of genius occasionally. They're closer to strokes than yeah. genius, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is true. you know, now that we actually do have a, a Twisted Metal TV show on the way, yeah. which oh, makes yeah. me happy. Forgot about that. Yeah, Isn't it, uh, who is playing Sweet Tooth? What's his name? Oh, I think it's from, Will Arnett. Uh, Will Arnett playing yeah. Sweet Tooth. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I am totally on board with that. Hey, oh, he, needs, he needs another paycheck outside of the uh, Reese's commercials. 
do you, oh, that's right. He does. Do you know I'm how much sure money? You know how much money he made off of BoJack Horseman? Holy shit! Oh god, probably a uh, fuck ton. In cash. That's fair. So it's more of a case of like you just don't see him a lot because he doesn't need it. Yeah. So pretty much. Yeah. Oh, and the that's goddamn fair. Lego Batman uh, movies. Holy shit! The man's rolling in it. He, <laughs> he's he's living the life in his luxury lot or lot yacht his his seventh luxury yacht. My, Michael, I blew up the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> God. I need to rewatch that show. Uh, well, thank you for coming on today, Brandon. I know we're you have a very busy schedule, but we appreciate you coming back for this episode. Yep, not a problem, and especially since you know I've I've seen both of them multiple times, so it was. Definitely familiar ground. It's 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 always easy for me to pull that off. I know uh, Split the Difference can be a little tricky, especially if it's like two longer films. But, you know, in this case, like, oh, yeah, I've seen both of these multiple times. I can I can just hop right on. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Aaron, thank you for your expertise on this as well. Yes. I always like talking about zombies. Yes. And that means that you and Brandon have to collaborate to fix Land of the Dead. Who <laughs> <Cool> boy. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> And Seth, thank you for coming on. I was here. You were here. (laughs) (laughs) And we were we were all here enjoying two okay zombie movies. (laughs) I what else can you ask for? Whoa, whoa, whoa. One of them's good. One of them's good. Okay, one of them is really good. Yeah. There you go. Unless you're watching the colorized version like I did last year, and it's which is not. So I consider doing that because I genuinely have never seen the entire thing, but I couldn't put myself Big through it. <laughs> it's it's surreal. It, it's, it's very weird. surreal. It's yeah, very weird. Yeah. That that was another public domain thing there because it was Legend Films that put that on DVD, and it has sort of like the early inklings of Rift Tracks because Mike Nelson has a commentary on there, but I think it's just him. So it's odd. You're better off Ugh. just watching the uh, the riff tracks live, where it's all three of them. So, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine for just one of them. I need. I need uh, Tom Servo, and <laughs> you know, I need. I need the rest of them. Well, that was a weird thing. Like riff tracks was born out of it just being Mike Nelson to begin with. I think the first one he did actually was uh, Roadhouse, but then years later he redid it with the two of them because he realized, yeah, we need all three of us together. Even with just two of them, it's like something's missing. So it's like, you need all three. You need Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy. So otherwise, it's just like, nope, this ain't working. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah. So I think you can stream that on Amazon, too. I think they have the Rift Tracks Live of Night of the Living Dead because, you know, they, they don't just do bad movies. They can do good movies, too. <laughs> yeah. So Add that to my watch list. Yeah, there you go. Roadhouse. <laughs> and with that, good night. <laughs>